This week, renowned physicist Stephen Hawking died. What can we learn about the reasons to believe in God, even though such a notable scientist as Hawking denied God's existence? Find top five reasons that led me to believe in God's existence, and we'll also be taking questions from bellatorchristie.com on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. joining us on the podcast today hope you're doing well wherever you may be uh i am uh, this is actually an experiment <laughs> so to speak we are uh, I, we had a wonderful podcast last week with dr leo purser uh but we did have one problem and uh that was uh quite honestly that um there was an issue with the sound quality of the podcast, and so I actually have invested to uh, help the podcast as it uh, continues to move forward. I uh, invested in a uh, an inexpensive, somewhat inexpensive, inexpensive mixing board. And so this is the uh, first time I'm actually trying this on the podcast. Uh, bear, bear with me. <laughs> this I'm actually new. Well, I'm really new at this. I'm actually uh, having to uh, learn a lot about uh, the production of these podcasts as we move along. And someone actually, Dr. Yates, uh, my professor of uh, theology of uh, the prophets in the Ph.D. program, which we hope to bring him on uh, the podcast here pretty soon, is uh, we want to discuss a book that he has written, uh, which is in a series of books. He wrote a commentary, a devotional commentary on the book of Jeremiah, and so we hope to have him on the podcast uh, coming up in the weeks and months ahead, hopefully not too, too far from now. Uh, but um, anyhow, uh, he, he said, you must be pretty good at this. And I actually said, well, actually, I'm quite dumb. <laughs> I'm having to learn this on the fly as we go along. But uh, thankfully, I've had individuals who have helped me learn uh, how to uh, maneuver uh, around in the world of uh, podcasting. And so this is uh, still quite a bit of an experiment, experiments, experience, uh, trial and error, mostly error, to be honest. But uh, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> as I was uh, putting the theme music and, uh, and onto the, on the system and getting this, and man, there was a huge blare. So this is actually take three <laughs> on this edition of the podcast, trying to get this thing going because I'm having to learn how to... Uh, to, to mix this together to make sure all of this comes about, uh, try to get the volume somewhat right uh, or, or right as best as it can uh, to uh, the level it needs to be. So again, this is a work in progress. Bear with me if the sound is, is, is a bit off. Uh, in the next few weeks, just bear with me. Uh, if it's too loud, you may want to turn it down a little bit lower. A uh, little bit lower. If it's too low, let me know, and I will will increase the sound. Uh, right now, it appears that um, the sound is pretty good. Uh, right now with the system, but uh, as I said, this is a work in progress. And actually, I'm, I'm having to. Uh, I'm not even. I'm not really with the, the regular microphone I use. So I want to thank John Deal and the good people at Huntsville Baptist Church for allowing me to borrow one of their microphones uh, for this edition of the podcast. Uh, I'm waiting on one additional part that will allow me to use the regular 
uh, microphone that I use for the podcast. Hopefully, uh, that'll be here and ready to go by next week. But like I said, this has been a work in progress, and um, looking forward to seeing how this will will further our uh, ministry here on the air. By the way, I want to remind you while we're at it that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We do encourage you to go to the website, and while you're there, subscribe. By doing so, you'll receive all the articles in your inbox and the um, in, the um, Links to the podcast as soon as they become available, and the best part of it all is it's absolutely free. You can also take this podcast with you on the go as we're available on several apps. We're available on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. So go and uh, take advantage of those 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 ministry um, aspects of the ministry or those those. apps that are available to you and uh, we just ask that you simply share uh share the information with other individuals if it's this if this has been a blessing to you i want to discuss a few things today uh like i said at the opening of the podcast uh, the main thing i want to discuss is uh five reasons why i believe in god's existence we're also going to play a clip today of the uh point of view program hosted by Kirby Anderson. They took a question of mine this past week as they had uh, as they interviewed an individual uh, on the program. We'll tell you a little bit more about that individual and the uh, the, the about some information coming up about a uh, an apologetics conference being held at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary as well. And then we hope if we have time left on the podcast, I hope to answer some questions uh, that uh, have been posted at bellatorchristie.com. So that's kind of the layout of the webs of the uh, podcast today. Starting off, I want to talk about uh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is a renowned physicist. Uh, he passed away this past week uh, in. Um, he is he is known best for his work with black holes and uh, trying to figure out or, or come up with a theory of everything. Now Stephen Hawking was an avowed atheist, and I posted on my uh, my Facebook page. Uh, I, I thought what was was very simple, put, simple, simply put, um, um, simply put, uh, post. Uh, not it wasn't. Uh, it was just describing the exclusivity of Christ and the fact of that there is nothing. There, there's no other salvation found outside of Jesus Christ alone. And I will. I'll read. I read you what I posted. I said Stephen Hawking died. Hawking denied the existence of God as Hawking was an avowed atheist. He now faces the reality of God's existence, a reality we all must face, and and that is true. Who knows though. God's grace is extended to a person until the last breath is taken. Hopefully, Hawking had a change of mind and heart before entering eternity. Hawking was a brilliant man, but intellectual prowess does not save one's soul. Praying for the Hawking family. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> I came under a, a, a bit of a controversy. I'm not going to mention who it was or what it was about, uh, but uh, it it was a situation where, where I was... Uh, uh, basically was accused of being uh, very judgmental and I, and I basically said and 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 um and I think I I think I'm I think I'm truthful in this and, and I think I'm I'm standing on good ground saying this that that Christ is inclusive you know with anyone who comes to him he will accept that person and will save that person he's very inclusive in that regard but the issue of salvation itself is very exclusive. Jesus said quite simply, and I wrote a, uh, an article for the Christian Post on this very issue because Billy Graham just got in trouble. And how ironic this is, Billy Graham uh, came under some controversy because he placed uh, John fourteen six on his tombstone. And as some people said, why, why are we even? Why, why is this even an issue? A person can put whatever they want on their tombstone, and that's so true. But Billy Graham put John fourteen six on his on his tombstone, and John fourteen six is a direct quote from Jesus. It says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by me." That's a very exclusive claim. And so, while Jesus is inclusive of all people in indicating the fact that he does receive anyone who comes to him by faith, he will receive that person and will save that person's soul. However, we can't we can't say that there are multiple ways to heaven. 
I feel that goes beyond the scope of Scripture, and quite honestly, I think we're guilty of of uh, of a great, tremendous, if you want to call it heresy, that that you know you can call it that. But we have we have a difficult issue in the church today. In fact, I say to you today that I think it is not only unloving; I think it is hate filled. To, to give false hope to individuals claiming that there are other means to salvation outside of Christ Jesus. Because, because we're giving individuals false hope. And so we must stand by what Jesus says. You know, I have never seen in my life in, in ministry uh, so, so many people getting upset over what I felt. And most people, I, I think I could dare say most evangelicals, Orthodox Christians even, would claim to be the fundamental doctrines of Scripture. You know, that there is no other way to salvation but by Christ. I I didn't know that it was supposed to be even controversial. I I think that's pretty clear cut. So, you know, I I am of the the persuasion, I was talking to my good friend Jason Klein about this, and and he said something very true, very very uh, very good. He said that we're just going to probably have to get used to the fact that we're going to come under condemnation for holding on to Christian virtues. And I think he's absolutely right. Uh, I don't think I mean, we never was was should have been under the persuasion that we can be popular and be a Christian. But it even seems like it's difficult for an individual today to stay by Christian virtues. And even be accepted within the church, because this individual uh, was a Christian, or is a Christian. And I have no doubt this individual loves Christ. I have no doubt that this individual loves God with all the, with all one's being. And, and I'm not saying this to condemn the individual. I pray for the individual. You know, I, I love the individual in Christ, and and you know, and and I, I hope that uh, that, that maybe uh, we can have a, a a good conversation about this later on. But um, but the, but the point is, simply put, uh, we we're going to have to stand by our our convictions, especially the core fundamental doctrines of Scripture. And I think we're in very dangerous territory once we begin um, saying Jesus is wrong uh, in what he said as, as it's presented in Scripture. I think that's very dangerous territory. And uh, e- even if this is the only means, even if I lose my church position tomorrow, which I don't think that's going to happen, uh, I'm, I'm part of a very good conservative church, but I'm just saying, even if I never preached in a pulpit again, I would keep promoting this message on the podcast, telling people that there's no other way to the Father but by Jesus Christ, because that's what Jesus told us. And... Um, that's that's what I believe, and I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the, uh, you know, call me simple-minded, call me a fool if you want, but I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the teachings of Jesus uh, seriously, and I'm going to uh, stick with what he says instead of some modern pop uh, psychological uh, innuendo. So, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but going back to Stephen Hawking, you know, and I hope and pray. That Hawking made uh, his his life right with Christ before passing into eternity. You know, I, I, we, and what I will have to say is the individual's right in the fact that we don't know um, the eternal status of an individual. I do think we can discern, you know, because the fact that uh, Hawking did deny Christ, did deny Christ, did deny God. Uh, you know, it's it's more likely than not that he that he uh, didn't enter eternity. Uh, without Christ, but I hope and pray he did. And uh, as long as there's a breath in a person's life, there's an opportunity. So w- there's no way we can know. Only God knows, and only, of course, Hawking knows. And so I hope and pray that he did. Even if it's a last second, uh, if it's a last second conversion, it counts. And so uh, you know, praise God for that. But uh, anyhow, l- let me move on. Now, now Hawking. Many people ask the question: Why did Hawking not believe in God? And this is a very good discussion. A very good question, and I think that um, one person said on Facebook, uh, who himself is a scientist, he said that, that that quite honestly there are many Christian scientists. There are many Christian scientists, but more likely than not, the atheistic scientists are the one who ones who become popularized more often, and there may be some truth to that. But uh, but largely put, scientists look at the material functions of the universe. And you can't put God in a test tube. 
So if you're just simply looking to to use science alone, then then uh, you, um, you you have to use a courtroom version of, of evidence. You have to see you have to connect the dots, so to speak. Um, and and a lot of times I believe scientists, well, all of us, anyone in scholarship, anyone in scholarship are, are often focused on their one field and they don't look beyond that. And so do I believe that there's evidence for God? I absolutely do. And in fact, I have shared with this uh, shared with you on the podcast before that you know I left the ministry for seven years and uh, and even dabbled, with theistic leaning agnosticism, uh, I never came to the point of being an har- a hardcore atheist. I, I never did. I did become an agnostic, and I say a theistic leaning agnostic because, um, or or maybe even the level of pantheist. Uh, s- someone someone who would say something of the sort that, you know, th- th- there may be good reasons to believe God exists, but I don't know what they are. And uh, if God exists, we, we, we may not be able to know uh, God personally, or we may not be able to know much about God. But uh, later, as I, I, I came across some literature that uh, really transformed my life, I, I came to find five reasons why we can believe not only that God exists, but that God is personal, that we can know God. Um, you know, but, but largely put why we can know God exists. And I want to give you these top five arguments, top five reasons uh, on this on today's podcast. And as we move along, I may discuss some of the issues of why I uh, came back to, to be an Orthodox Christian, a traditional uh, Orthodox Christian in, in future podcasts, especially coming closer to Easter itself. But the fifth argument that I found convincing is, uh, and, and there are many more, but these, these five really resonate with me. And um, Ravi Zacharias did a good job describing this, and many others have as well. And that's the moral argument, the moral argument, which which basically says that uh, that objective morals, objective morality, must come from an objective lawgiver. And if there are objective laws or morals, then there must be an objective lawgiver. And so. It's, it stands to reason that there are objective morals in the universe, uh, in the world. There are certain things that all cultures will accept as being true as far as morality goes. Now you say, wait a minute, what about individuals who are cannibals? Well, closer investigation of, these, of such cultures will indicate that uh, when it comes to the people of their own tribe... That morality, individuals they see as equals, so to speak, uh, those individuals, they hold a lot higher morals towards individuals in their own tribe than they do individuals who are enemies, uh, who they consider okay to consume or whatever the case may be. And, and this is generally true all across the world. You know, th- we see that it's wrong, uh, certain things are wrong across the globe. Like it's, uh, and, and I read a book on this issue um I think it's called Imagine Heaven, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's in that book. Uh, but I think he found 12 morals, and I don't have it with me right now, but uh, he, he found 12 morals, John Burke did, 12 morals that uh, one finds across the globe. And certain things like it's wrong to commit adultery, uh, certain things like it's wrong to uh, murder, it's, and, and, and issues like that, it's wrong to rape, and things like that. Um Especially as it, as you look at individuals who are close to that person, you find that there are these morals are are true across the globe. Okay, so objective morals themselves argue for an objective lawgiver, and that objective lawgiver is of course God. Now it's a funny thing that uh, individuals who are non-believers, who are unbelievers, or who may argue against this uh, this uh, this point, will themselves use objective morals when standing up against some type of political uh, unrest or some type of um, issue, social uh, injustice that they see in the world. And they will be quick to accuse Christians of immorality. But here's the problem. If God does not exist, then there really is no such thing as morality. There really is no such thing as right and wrong. 
Because all we would simply be is random molecules in motion. That's all we would be. But if there is a God, then life has purpose because there's a reason for life being here. If life is an accident, then it really doesn't matter in the end whether you're as good as Mother Teresa or you're as evil as Adolf Hitler. You go to the same destination, which is to eternal nothingness. You have no more. You have no. Uh, um, you basically have no reason for living without God. But if God exists, then that means that life has purpose. That you have purpose, and I have purpose, and there's a reason for our being here. And that amplifies the importance of right and wrong, and that actually amplifies the issue of good and evil. So the moral argument, I think, is a very powerful statement, a very powerful claim to the existence of God, who would himself be a moral lawgiver. And, and, in, and quite honestly, that would show the, the benevolence of God, the, the goodness of God, that is, and the love of God, because that would have to be if you accept the existence of an objective lawgiver. Number four, uh, we see what I call the consciousness argument. This thing called consciousness is is an enigma. You, you can't really write it off as being a byproduct of the brain. It just doesn't hold. It's and it's actually funny. I preached a message on near death experiences, and and it's and it's funny. Um, I, I've come across so, some individuals throughout my ministry since I've come back to faith, and I've I've encountered this through uh, television preachers. I've encountered this through. There's actually a preacher that I greatly admire who preached against near-death experiences, and I was really shocked by that. You know, a lot of uh, my classmates and I were discussing this very issue um, in class at the intensive a few weeks a few weeks back when we were up at uh, Lynchburg discussing this very issue, and, and I told them that, and they were shocked by it, because really, near-death experiences and the existence of consciousness, the immaterial self, is something that greatly benefits the Christian worldview, because what it does is it combats. It, it doesn't really prove heaven or hell, although I think the evidence can, can be said to show when you have thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals reporting very similar instances when they describe heaven and hell, uh, there are hellish near-death experiences as well. You begin to see some similarities, and John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven, which I want to thank my good buddy Jason Klein for giving me that book, uh, shows a lot of the similarities you see in these near-death experiences. So when you see thousands and thousands of people coming from all across the globe describing very similar uh, scenarios when they die and they enter this, this heavenly existence, and when it's especially confirmed that the individuals were dead and that there was no activity in the brain whatsoever, this demonstrates to me and many others that there really is an immaterial self. This thing called consciousness, that is the thing called an immaterial soul. In fact, the evidence is mounting so strong that even former uh, New York University uh, professor of philosophy and, and, um, and political science, Thomas Nagel, wrote a book, Thomas Nagel is an atheist now, uh, an atheist agnostic somewhere along in that area, but he wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos, Why Materialist Neo-Darwinianism is Almost Certainly False. He argues against materialism in this book. Now, he's not arguing for Christianity, but he's arguing for this consciousness that exists beyond the scope of the body, This that this that there's more to life that is, there's more to life than just the material world that we need to take into consideration the fact that uh, that there may be another dimension beyond this scope, the scope of this life, uh, which may be the spiritual dimension. So that, I think, is very strong, and I was really astounded when I found the similarities uh, of near-death experiences, that they're not hallucinations. And that they have been confirmed many times over by individuals who have seen things beyond the scope of the body that has been confirmed uh, in the here and now. And as Gary Habermas has said, we can't prove what a person sees scientifically on the other side of eternity. But when you have an individual reporting going out of their body and seeing a blue shoe on the third floor third story of a hospital, and a nurse goes and checks to find the shoe exactly where the person saw it, whereas no one else knew it was there, 
then you know that there's something to this. When you have individuals who are born blind reporting these visual experiences when they leave the body uh, that have been confirmed by individuals who were in the room that that person no way, no how could have known, then you know that's telling us something. And so this materialist worldview is is almost is just completely dead. It's bankrupt. And so we have to accept the fact that there is this conscious existence beyond the scope of the life, beyond the scope of this mere mortal life. Uh, Number three is the teleological argument or the design argument. And Hugh Ross has been a great benefit in this regard because the more uh, – Hugh Ross, if you don't know him, he's an astrophysicist. He's written many works – Called, you know, for instance, uh, the improbable planet, navigating Genesis, uh, more than a theory. Uh, he, he's written several other books. He's, he's even written a book uh, about uh, the things we can learn about creation through the book of Job. Uh, he has he has said that there are more than and I hope I'm remembering this right, more than 180 cosmological constants, and he said that we would expect in a world that had design to find more and more of these constants, and that's exactly what's happening. And so does the science of design is all over. It's all over creation. You know, and my dad used to say, and I remember him saying this quite often as a young man, I remember him saying, you know, Brian, if, if, uh, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it swims like a duck, and it flies like a duck, you know, chances are highly likely that it's a duck. <laughs> you know, it's a duck. And so I think the same thing applies to the design of the world. If it looks designed, it has all the attributes of design, then we can see that there's something to this argument that, uh, that life itself, the universe, was not an accident, that there was a designer. Number two is the cosmological argument. And the cosmological argument basically says that there must be someone responsible for bringing something into existence. You know, that, that's a staple we see of Christianity, that God brought creation into the world ex nihilo from nothingness. And, you know, I really fell in love with William Lane Craig's Kalam cosmological argument. It's so simple and succinct, but yet so powerful. It basically says that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay, and I think we can see that uh, that's a cause-effect pro- issue there. It's a fundamental of science. Well, number two, the second premise is the universe had a beginning. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, and we can see that as clear as day, uh, that the universe came into existence. And number three, therefore... Uh, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause, which itself implies a causer, which would, of course, be God. And so, you know, I helped uh, t- helped in a public school teach as a teach, uh, teaching assistant, and I remember going over the fundamentals of science that there is a cause and effect. But it seems odd to me that for the atheist to hold their worldview that the materialist world brought itself into creation, they would have to suspend the very fundamental of science to which they adhere so strongly. The the cause of, of the universe, because we're talking about a day and time beyond the scope of this mere mortal life, uh, beyond the scope of, of, of the physics that we see in this universe, there was a time when that was not. Well, how did it come into being? Well, God is the best answer for that, that there is a, 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 a transcendent, intelligent, eternal being that brought everything into existence. And quite honestly, you, have to, you only have two options on this. Either a, an imit, either a, a, a non-existence universe brought itself into being, <laughs> which is quite, <laughs> I think, highly unlikely, Either everything would just just so happen to be that it just came into existence on its own with no cause whatsoever, or an eternal conscious mind brought it into being, and that eternal conscious mind would be God. So 
I go with option B every time. I, I think, you know, even whenever I was struggling with, you know, dabbling in agnosticism, you know, it made no sense to me to think that the universe could just simply bring itself into existence. It didn't make sense to me then. It certainly doesn't make sense to me now. You know, and a lot of times people will try to use the multiverse as an argument to say, well, uh, maybe a multiverse brought everything into existence. Well, it's interesting that the Borg, Vilenkin, and Guth, three mathematicians who themselves are not Christians, came up with a mathematical theorem that showed that even if there is a multiverse, any physical universe, including a multiverse, would itself have to have a beginning. And by the way, the if, if the multiverse exists, which is a big if, even it would have elements of design in it there as well. So you don't get around the problem, the quote-unquote God problem. You just kick the ball down the field a little bit more. And the number one thing that, uh, and I don't know that you could really say that this is a formal argument, uh, so to speak, that has uh, been popularized in Christianity. This is just something that I've seen, and I think other people have seen this as well. This is something I call the information argument. And that's just to say that, that in intelligence is responsible for programming information into systems. You know, I dabbled with you know, electrical systems there for a while, uh, messed with electronics a little bit, not much, uh, but messed with it a little bit. You know, I never messed with the programming aspect. But you know, intelligence is responsible for bringing information into systems, for inserting data. I was a data manager at one time. You know, I was responsible for entering that information in the system. It didn't spontaneously appear, but there was intelligence responsible for program for, for programs and for information. Well, the universe itself has programmed systems. Therefore, the universe must have an intelligence responsible for the program systems. That means there must be something to answer the reason why is there any physics at all. Now, I'm not an evolutionist. But even if a person is an evolutionist, you know, there must be something, you know, evolution, if it is real. And I, again, I'm not an evolutionist. But if it were to be real, that would be a system set in place that operated by certain means to bring about a teleological end, a designed end to bring about sentient beings, which would be human beings. There was a system, a program, if it were to be, which I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm not an evolutionist. I'm a creationist. But I'm just simply saying there would even have to be, even if it were to be true, there would have to be information put in a, a system in place to allow for life to exist and to allow for the development of the species. So you really, even with evolution, you don't get around the problem of needing a creator. Now again, I, I'm not an evolutionist, but even if it were to be true, that doesn't get around the God problem. Because there are mathematical systems in place, information, so to speak, because there is DNA, because there is uh, or there are uh, physical laws, laws of physics, laws of nature in place, that all screams and demands the, the need for an intelligent creator. There's no way around it. So these are some of the reasons why, you know, I've always, uh, this is, these are some of the reasons why I was strengthened in my faith to believe in a creator, a creator who's not only transcendent and beyond the scope of this universe, but one who's also personal as well. You know, this these, 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 um, you know, some would say, well, this, you could say that there was a transcendent God, but how does God become personal? Well, there are other issues that you need to discuss that illustrates the fact that, uh, that God is personal. But I think that just the fact that God, that God would exist and allow for life to exist, to allow for human beings, means that he had a purpose for us being here. And ultimately in Jesus Christ, we can see the personal nature of God. So, these are some of, the, some of the reasons why I came back to faith. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we return, uh, we're going to play a snippet from uh, Point of View, uh, as uh, Kirby Anderson was interviewing an individual that we'll, that we'll introduce here in just a few moments as they took a question that I presented. And so we'll, we'll, we'll uh, present that information as soon as we come back from this commercial break. You're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. 
given that the pastor has a responsibility of teaching from it, um, is it uh, is it the kind of translation that makes it easy for people to to grasp? We forget what it's like to. Um, you know, read some of those words, some of those passages for the first time. For me, this is all about biblical literacy. That, um, that's what a Bible translation, bottom line, is about. I want to know that what I'm sharing is trustworthy and that it's an accurate translation and also that it's accessible to the, the, the average woman that's, that's sitting out there. I've got one translation that's faithful to the text, faithful to the authors, but also faithful to communicate it in such a way that 21st century hearers can hear it and understand it. Again, the CSB is so theologically sound, but when I read it, I feel like it's the Holy Spirit jumping off the page going, God sees you, God loves you. I'm most excited about the CSB because I want to give both to the layman or the, the person in pastoral ministry, something in there too that they can both trust and rely in, but also be able to use it as a tool for God's kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom. All right, the CSB is the official uh, translation for the Bellator Christie podcast and for bellatorchristie.com. There are several many good translations out there, but uh, I've fallen in love with the CSB, and I do encourage you to go get your copy of that translation today. CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and that is produced by Holman, uh, uh, Holman and or B&H Publishers, uh, the Holman Bibles, and so we do encourage you to go pick up a copy of that today. All right, we want to play a snippet of uh, the point of view uh, program uh, that is uh, hosted by Kirby Anderson, and uh, he uh, interviewed. This is uh, the the Thursday, March fifteenth, twenty eighteen, airing of the show, and uh, he talks with Byron Barlow and Daniel Ray, who are uh, in the studio to discuss their upcoming Hubble Narnia uh, project, and um, they're going to host a sp- a special. Um, a, a special uh, conference at Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, and I think Kirby is going to talk a little bit about that on this program. I did ask a question pertaining to the multiverse, and you know, since this is a show that is uh, talking about the issues of creation and the existence of God, I wanted to play this little snippet for you right now. So uh, this is uh, where uh, Byron Barlow and Kirby Anderson answer a question that I presented to them on the Point of View uh, podcast or on the Point of View program. And so let's join that. Uh, that is, it is uh, in progress. You can, of course, watch this online, and you can also, of course, go to the Facebook Live feed and a variety of others. Of course, you're listening to it on AM 1160. Uh, but let me also mention that Brian just a minute ago asked, what about the possibility of a multiverse? You know, how does that, if it is at all, fit into this idea of a Christian worldview? Well, I think, first of all, it's a, it is a theoretical and an imaginative construct birthed out of the imaginations of cosmologists trying to understand the world. So, obviously, my my knowledge of the universe is very limited, and I wouldn't rule out uh, a priori that, that that wouldn't be possible. But as an explanation for our universe, uh, the the 17th century philosopher uh, Gottfried uh, Leibniz had said that uh, a multiverse or something like a multiverse, you can't have an an infinite string of physical causality as an explanation for something. So as an explanation, it doesn't really work for explaining why this universe is here. But it is entirely possible that something like that might exist. But I think the important thing for us and what we're talking about is that it shows the the reality uh, and the necessity of imagination within the sciences. And, of course, cosmology is more of a theoretical science. Uh, you know, the late Dr. Hawking, even Einstein, they were renowned for using their imagination and applying it to the science. And so I think multiverse is is a fruit of the imagination. It's kind of cool to think about maybe that is something, but it doesn't finally explain 
as an explanation for our universe, it doesn't work philosophically. So it is philosophical. It is imaginative. It is certainly possible. I mean, God in his infinite wisdom could have done a lot of things that far and away exceed our ability to understand. So in one sense, scientifically, sure, it's possible. But as an explanation, um, it not really. It doesn't work. But it is. I think it does show uh, the presence, uh, the, the very real presence of the imagination at work within the sciences. Yes. You know, one of the things that we've talked about with you once before, and you have a video about this, is if you take a penny and hold it up about this far, and you look at the eye of uh, Lincoln, that's a very that would give you an idea of this very small space in the universe. And um, one of these individuals we're going to have a chance to hear from actually wanted to see if there was anything in that space. Yes. What did he find? Uh, Dr. Kokomar uh, led the team that processed the image. So he's like the, the Hubble's chief photographer. I don't exactly know the details of what he was involved with. But Hubble went around the Earth in early 2000s uh, 400 times and took 200 uh, took two images each orbit of that spot of sky that you just described, the eye of Lincoln on a penny held out at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Um, the director of the Space Telescope Institute at the time, um, I forgot what his name was, but they, there was his predecessor, uh, Bob Williams, did this in, in the, in, in just before 2000s, where they look at a blank t- spot of sky. And it was a huge gamble when Williams did it, but, uh, Dr. Kokomar and his team and the rest of the Hubble folks had that, had that in their in the history of so they they tried it again uh bob williams's uh spot of sky yielded 3000 galaxies the the spot of sky that anton and his team took pictures of yielded 10000 galaxies 10000 galaxies so anton was the ch- was in charge of layering all those uh 800 images together in one mosaic and released it to the public well and again you know when the scriptures say the heavens declare the glory of god we now know more in the 21st century than the psalmist did about yes. how much bigger the universe is and how much grander it is. Right, Byron? Right. And uh, it strikes me that you had people who said there was empty sky there. It looked <laughs> black and empty. And then what you found... Okay, we'll go ahead and uh, stop that there. And so basically what we see there, even with the multiverse, it is a theory, uh, but uh, it's imaginative theory, as uh, Byron Barlow said. And uh, But it doesn't necessarily answer the questions of creation and... Um, you know, I think he's absolutely right. We have just a few minutes left. Actually, this podcast went a little longer uh, than I anticipated that it would. But I'm going to close up uh, by answering a few questions uh, that we received at bellatorchristie.com for the time that we have available. Try to answer them just as quickly as I can. Uh, Curtis asked this question. He said, hey, Brian, I have a question about furthering my education. I have a great opportunity through my church. They will pay for any classes I want to enroll in. My pastor believes in empowering the same. So my difficulty is in that I can go through classes to be credentialed a credentialed pastor right now and do reason new classes later or vice versa. Just looking for some advice in this. I have a full-time job and run fully operational ranch and trying to further my education, so time is tight. I feel I have been called to men's young uh, young youth men's young men's ministry, so I'm trying to target Bible re- reliability, history, defending. Any help would be appreciated. Uh, so Curtis, I, I actually sent him an email a personal email trying to answer this question and so I wanted to spend some time uh, right now uh, just a few minutes uh, trying to respond to his question if, if you have an opportunity now I've, I've never had this uh, but, it, but it's a great opportunity if you have a church that's going to help you uh, pay for education, which I think churches should do this if they have a person in their, their congregation uh, that's seeking to, to be trained biblically. They need to try to offer support the best they can. Now, not every church may be able to do that, uh, but for churches who can, I think that's a great uh, a great idea and something that we need to uh, really seriously consider. Now, I would be, uh, I, I've you know, just in full disclosure, uh, I, I am a Liberty grad, and I'm go, I'm actually in the PhD program. But um, I'll just give a shameless plug for my to my school. I yeah, I would highly recommend Liberty University. I, I've have uh, had nothing but uh, good things. Uh, you know, it's challenging. I'll be honest with you; it's a very challenging program at Liberty. Uh, but if you can afford to do that, if you especially if you're getting help, uh, they have a lot of. Uh, uh, um, 
associate programs, bachelor programs. Just it just depends. One of the things I would I would honestly do, uh, Curtis, is I would ask myself, what do you feel God calling you to do? I mean, how far do you want to go in your education? You know, it may be something that you're just wanting to get a certificate, go through a certification program. But I would highly recommend if you are serious about getting a good Bible education that you would uh, would would go through a good Bible program, a uh, good apologetics program. I think that's absolutely necessary, especially if you're going to reach young people. I even told an individual this past week at a minister's conference that I believe, and I really believe this, that youth ministry may be, even a, may be as important, if not more important now, than, than pastoral ministry. Uh, because you're reaching a, a group of individuals who are facing things that no other generation in America has faced. And so I would encourage you, Biola University has some good programs there as well. Um, there are many SBC programs that are really good. I know New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, they have a really good apologetic program there as well. I believe Southwestern does, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Southeastern has a good program over there as well. This is uh, That's in North Carolina. So there are many good schools out there. I would say, though, if you're going to spend the time and I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers here, but if you're going to spend the time to uh, get an education, ch- check the accreditation uh, because you want to make sure you go to an accredited school. And the reason is, is if you want to use that uh, degree in many places, they're going to look for something that's accredited. Um, now, I know there's a big controversy issue over that, and I'm not going to go into that. Uh, and there are several wonderful uh, teachers and preachers who went to non-accredited schools, uh, but that would just be the suggestion that I would give to you there, uh, Curtis, if you're looking to do something like that. Try to look for the accreditation and f- try to find a good accredited school. Uh, also, uh, Jason asks, we actually have a couple other questions, but we'll have to just end it with with this one. Um Dear Pastor Brian, are the five solas generally accepted to be uh, accepted among non-Calvinist evangelicals, or is it only accepted by Calvinist evangelicals? Uh, how should we interpret five solas in a non-Calvinistic way? Most especially, how would we interpret uh, sola Deo Gloria? Uh, so that's a very good, uh, very good question to ask, and I would just simply say that uh, the five solas are not only a uh, reformed view. Uh, the uh, the five solas are uh, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide by faith alone, solus Christus by Christ alone, sola deo gloria, the glory of God alone, and sola scriptura, uh, the scripture alone. I think any Protestant uh, Christian, quite honestly, would re- would accept those those five. Now, um, now, now the only the question I think he asked was about the sola Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory, uh, and how would we interpret that? How would a person interpret that as who is a non-Calvinist, and I myself am uh, a Molinist or a Congruist, which is a version of Molinism? Um, the the the, sim- the simple thing is, by, by the way, Congruism is is basically Molinism. I'm just say Molinism to keep from any confusion there. Um, Simply, simply put, I, I think that salvation is all about the glory of God, even if we accept the fact as 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 non-reformed individuals, non-reformed Christians, uh, that there is a response by the individual. But you know, I, I've never understood this argument saying that uh, that by saying we respond to the Holy Spirit, that we somehow are taking responsibility. For what God has done, no, I mean it's 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 like someone wrapping up a gift and giving you a gift at Christmas time. You know that person's responsible for the gift. You're just simply opening it. You you simply receive the gift and you open it. You know, so even in a non-Calvinist view, salvation is for the glory of God alone because it's it's by God's grace that we're saved. It's not of ourselves. We just receive the gift of salvation. Uh, but but uh, but but. But we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves is a gift of God, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, I don't, th- I don't think it really matters if you're Calvinist or non-Calvinist. Now, obviously, Calvinists put a little more emphasis on the five solas than than we non-Calvinists do. I think that uh, that's probably problematic for us as non-Calvinists. I think we probably need to emphasize those five issues more. Uh, than what we do, but yeah, I think I think that that can fit. Simply put, by um, 
by uh, now obviously some people are going to interpret those five solas differently within a Calvinist framework and a non-Calvinist framework but by and large I think both of them I think uh, both systems as long as a person is an Orthodox Christian I don't see any reason why um, both groups can't can't accept those five solas so I think that uh, because we we say you know we our knowledge of God uh, there is a natural revelation, of course, we would accept that, but uh, our, our main focus of revelation is by the Word of God alone. So there again, I, I don't see any problem with that. You know, There may be some others who uh, may have differing opinions on this issue, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, I don't see any issues with that whatsoever. We do have a few more questions on bellatorchristi.com. I will try to answer those on future podcasts. If you would like to submit your question to Bellator Christi uh, to be featured on this podcast, or perhaps even in an article, uh, go to the website at bellatorchristi.com. Look for the link that uh, should be at the top right-hand corner of the website. It says, Submit a Question to Bellator Christi. Fill out the form, and I will get that information and try to respond uh, to your question as soon as I can. We thank you for joining us on this edition of the Bellator Christi Podcast. This is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. I want to let you know about a special concert coming up this Sunday, March 18th at Huntsville Baptist Church at 6 o'clock p.m. Crosby Lane, the singers and writers of the song that's hosted here at Bellator Christie Podcast, the song Crucified, will be in concert with us. Once again, Crosby Lane in concert with us at Huntsville Baptist Church this Sunday, March 18th at 6 p.m. Admission is free. A love offering will be taken during the service with refreshments to be served afterwards. For more information about this, be sure to contact myself at Brian Chilton at BellatorChristi.com. Once again, Brian Chilton at BellatorChristi.com. We hope to see you there.